Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm author and publisher Tracy L. Slatten. It's my belief that the most interesting, creative, and original voices today are heard outside of the big corporations, studios, and galleries. Individuals of courage, inspiration, and vision are seizing the opportunities to create and promote their art themselves. I'm here to support them and to bring their stories to you. On this show, I'll interview independent artists of all kinds, unusual thinkers, and even some healers about their process. How do they do it? How do they start with an idea and bring it to life in the world? This show intends to illuminate the journey. Feel free to call in to 516-453-6052 with questions or live chat with me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artists thinkers. Great to have you with us. Hi, this is Tracy Slatten, hosting Independent Artists and Thinkers. I'm so happy to welcome all the listeners, all you listeners, to this third episode of the show. I created this show to support those brave souls who are operating outside the structures of the big established corporations and big established structures. As the intro to this show says, I intend to illuminate the unusual journey and to bring it to you. I'm looking for alternatives to conventional thinking and conventional wisdom. So please do call in with questions or comments to 516-453-6052. And you can also live chat me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artist thinkers. In the coming weeks, some great guests are coming on. Next week, May 14th at 1 p.m. Eastern, will be author and psychiatrist Dr. Bill Burnett talking about parental alienation. On May 21, Peter Trippi, Editor-in-Chief of Fine Art Connoisseur Magazine, will talk about supporting and curating the visual arts in today's competitive art environment. On May 28th, we have actor and producer Alexis Suarez, who will talk about how he's made his way as an actor and producer. So tune in and keep checking the website, independentartistinkers.com, and the Blog Talk Radio page to find out who's on this show. And I am so delighted today to have Dr. Jane Eli on the show. Jane is an author, a psycho-spiritual teacher, and an indigenous healer and counselor who has trained in energy medicine, dream and guided energy, psychodynamics, peacemaking, and healing science training. She received her Doctor of Ministry from the University of Creation Spirituality, founded by Matthew Fox. She teaches internationally, and to learn more, please visit www.drjaneeli.net. Jane, welcome, and thanks for being on the show. Well, thank you so much, and I love the concept of your program. Well, thank you. Jane, I've interviewed you before for some podcasts and YouTube videos about the Medicine Wheel and about your wonderful book, Coming Into Balance, A Guide for Activating Your True Potential. And we'll probably, during the course of this conversation, circle back around and talk about those but right now, I want to get right into the journey of the independent thinker and healer and author, and you're all of those things. So what makes you one of those? What makes you a healer, 
what how did you choose to become one i think um and i feel that uh my life path chose me to be a healer and uh, by that i mean um from growing up um and always feeling slightly out of sync with the people around me, my family, um, and always seeing things a little more differently than others, being highly sensitive, highly attuned to the spirits of nature. Um, From a very early age, I could uh, see spirits and um and the little divic kingdoms and i had a tremendous relationship with you know the trees the water the rocks and that continues to this day so i always felt that the healing path chose me and then through life experience um growing up and um you know, experiencing uh, difficulties, troubles, wounds, things of that nature. At one point in my life, I had a tremendous amount of grief happen within um, a, a one less than a one-year period um, where my husband died, um, my sister died, I lost my home, and, you know, my life came really tumbling down. It dissolved in front of my eyes. Everything that I had worked for um, disappeared. And I began to really practice on a daily basis everything that I had been taught in terms of being a human being, living a spiritual life. And that really saved me. It brought me back. And um, I can say that the energy of working with the indigenous teachers uh, really also brought me back. Uh, I did a lot of soul retrieval work and self-soul retrieval and uh, studying with uh, wise elders, wisdom keepers. And that really, really supported me. Let me ask you, what is soul retrieval and what's its value and importance? Well, um, soul retrieval is from a state, comes as a healing response from a state of soul loss. And um, I would say in my first book, Remembering the Ancestral Soul, Soul Loss and Recovery, which I wrote in 2005 and uh, printed independently through Author House, um, looked at the state of our woundedness in our culture. And the state of woundedness happens on so many levels through trauma, through um, breaks, through accidents, injuries, uh, war. I mean, there are so many um, different ways that we experience a soul loss. And what happens energetically is that when the soul re- receives a um, an injury or a sudden break, uh, it will do something that is uh, intuitively and intrinsically healing for itself. It will split itself off like a thread 
um, leaving the main column of life, and that soul part will go into a state of withdrawal or numbness, almost like putting itself in a box whereby it can't be hurt anymore. And the process of soul recovery and soul retrieval is to work with an individual to identify these times in life when these breaks have happened, to unwind the trauma within the body, the emotional body, the mental body, and the spiritual body, and then to bring this energetic part of ourself back. And the result is, when we do soul recovery work, that we actually have more of ourselves available to ourselves. We feel more grounded and balanced. So just before the show, you and I were talking, you mentioned you wanted to talk about the prevalence of fear in our culture and how it ungrounds people from their life purpose. So I think you know, soul loss can happen not just from individual and personal trauma like the losses you experience, but also just from being in our culture? Is that what you're also saying? Yes, absolutely. The state of fear that we are living in, um, and I call it like swimming in a sea of of fear, we're really navigating um, fear in our culture, and it's global. So soul loss, for example, has reached epidemic proportions. And it's a global state. How do you uh, see fear, it? Well, I, I see the, the fear base uh, in our culture, for example, in our media. Um, if you turn on or listen to um, any uh, media, you know, reporting the news, it's all fear-based. There's very little good news coming through. And there's a lot of good being done in the world. But the prevalence in our culture is to talk about what is not right, not good, what is out of balance, what causes fear. And when we go into fear, we are in a fight-or-flight reaction mode that causes soul loss. Ongoing. It also causes a lot of neurosis in our culture um, and people to be ungrounded. In other words, not able to be sitting in and down in your uh, relationship with yourself and therefore being ungrounded from the earth, therefore being ungrounded from um, the elements of nature. And when we become ungrounded, we literally begin to objectify everything in the way that we are uh, navigating our life. And by that I mean nature becomes an object to be used. And you can see that globally. Do you know, uh, we're, we're using the resources of the earth at an enormous rate. And the United States and North America itself uses 60% of the world's resources. And so energetically, that really shows us how ungrounded a culture we are because we are are looking at the resources of the earth as though they're never-ending, and they are not. They are finite. Rather than being in relationship with the earth 
and being living sustainably, uh, giving and taking, being in service to ourselves, our community, our family, and the earth, the elements. What we're doing is we are a, a, um, a, a right of entitlement is very prevalent in our culture. You know, give me, give me, give me, feed me. Um, and uh, the objectification is also shown in our materialistic way that we look at things, um, objectifying, getting things, uh, purchasing things, having things. And none of this actually fills the soul. What it does well, is it creates a deeper and deeper hole. Is this, well, a couple of things. One, I can remember being at a shopping mall decades ago and looking around and realized realizing that that was never going to feed. And I, I'm, it's fun to shop sometimes, you know, but I realized it would never fill the hole in my soul. And I looked around and I saw people doing what I had been doing unconsciously, trying to use a commercial transaction to feed some part of themselves that was still hungry. So one of the questions is, you had and I had talked about talking about eco psychology. Is this sort of leading into your your definition of eco psychology? And my other question is, how do we change it in our personal lives? How do we take personal responsibility for soulfulness in ourselves and in the world? Really, two fabulous questions. Well, the f- the first piece is um, the work that I do in the world, I have titled Energy Medicine and Eco-Psychology. In my private practice, I write about it, um, I teach it. And the word eco um, actually comes from the Greek word, which means our living, breathing environment. And so there we have an organism you know, it's a living, breathing thing, as we are, as being soft animals upon the earth. And psycho refers to the soul. It's the Greek word for soul. And then ology is to study or to gain knowledge. And so eco-psychology is a holistic, integrative way of working with our body, our mind, our emotions, and our spirit, integrated with the entire environment in which we navigate. In other words, being in relationship with the elements of the earth. Energy medicine uh, comes is actually an indigenous term, Native American Indian indigenous term, and it is a multi-leveled approach that supports self-awareness through um, uh, committing to a healing process. And that healing process primarily comes from the wisdom body of the soul. The soul actually drives the bus, and the rest of us, the other parts of us, are all passengers on this bus, meaning our soul is our higher self, and it has a tremendous wisdom. It constantly will bring us back into balance. That's its nature. And when we go out of balance, in other words, um, you know, become ungrounded, disconnect, um, go through soul loss, um, through all of those, um, you know, um, intricate ways that we have of responding to fear and wounding, um, our soul constantly is bringing us back, bringing us back. So it's our spiritual self 
that really brings back the body, the mind, and the emotions back into an integrated, connected self. And please ask your other question again. Well, how do we take personal responsibility in our lives and in the world around us? How do we make a change? How do we affect a change in soulfulness directly? Yes. Uh, we do this through understanding that there is something personally within us that is asking for our focus. And these come up in life lessons that uh, are presented over and over and over again as behavioral patterns that we live. And these behavioral patterns um, will come up through uh, many different occasions in the way that we are conducting ourselves. So when we kind of twig to the fact that there is something not harmonious, that, you know, there's that lesson again, you know, why can't I learn this? What, you know, why am I in another bad relationship, for example? You know, why am I, you know, being abused yet again? These are you know, very um, fundamental life lessons that we have agreed from our soul's wisdom to come to earth to learn. And humans um, are, human beings are here on the planet as learning agents. Um, We have this incredible uh, facility to be in a physical body, to have emotions, to have a mind that thinks and to have an ego, and then also to be spiritual beings. We have all of these um, facilities, faculties about us, and they are like these pieces of a puzzle that all fit together in a very miraculous way. When we get out of balance in any one of those ways, our soul life lessons will come forward. And I look at those soul life lessons, Tracy, almost like, um, you know, harp strings, a cord on a harp being plucked. Mm -hmm. When a life lesson comes up, it reverberates through our life. And it's like a cord on a harp. And it just, boom, it's plucked and it reverberates. And these patterns, these behavioral patterns, come back again for us to learn. Now, when we do learn a life lesson, we have actually evolved. And if that life lesson or behavioral pattern turns around and comes back again to be reflected to us, we do not react to it in the same powerful way that we have in the past. And I'll give you an example. Being in a relationship um, where there is a power over struggle in the relationship. In other words, it's not a mutual relationship. One person is the controller and the other is perhaps, let's say, passive aggressive. Both people in that relationship are there learning a life lesson. And how that life lesson is learned is first of all, 
the personality, the individual's self-responsibility to wake up inside that behavioral pattern that is no longer working for you, and then to be able to make personal change. So I'm hearing you talk about waking up and having awareness. So really the way to take personal responsibility to make the world a better place, to affect positive eco-psychology and, you know, full soulfulness is to wake up, to be aware, to start looking at your life from the witness state? Yes, from the witness state and also from a place of curiosity, which I call the inquirer or the asker. Um, It's a place of self-discovery. Do you know, it's like a kind of being in a deeper sense of uh, relationship with self. Gee, Jane, why isn't this working? Hmm, I wonder why. You know, there's, there is this opening, and these opening questions to self bring us into a deeper relationship with ourselves. In other words, we make a commitment to ourselves to discover and to heal. And when we do that, we can explore our life experiences from a place of deeper understanding and deeper insight. Rather than being self-judgmental, we can actually open our energy field, our physical body, mental body, emotional body, and spiritual body to heal from the past. And this is entirely possible that we, when we awaken from the past, we learn to live in the present. And in living from the present, we can imagine and live a better future. Well, I was, I've been doing some reading, and I recently came on a process of asking myself three questions. One, what is the disowned piece of myself, meaning what is the shadow? What is the ego's investment? You know, the ego always wants to be special. And then what is the resonance with the past, meaning what is the transference? Are those the kind of questions that you like to have people ask themselves? Yes, those are really wonderful opening questions. And in my book, um, Coming into Balance, I begin the book with 12 exercises that open a resonancy, a field of inquiry that, first of all, brings us into a grounded state of being in relationship with ourself. If we're not in relationship with ourselves, we're um, in a fear-based uh, reactive mode. And so in my book, I talk very simple or seemingly simple exercises that actually get us to resonate and to be more grounded within ourself. I call it like sitting down inside our soul. And when we do these exercises, um, there is this kind of vibration that we begin to unravel this knot uh, that has kept us separate from ourselves. And it, we begin to, through practice, and part of the whole energy field of healing is, first of all, to be able to make a commitment to yourself um, to be open to self-discovery, to ask these courageous questions, and then to practice. 
And, uh, you know, in the Zen tradition, they call it going to the cushion. (laughs) You just go to the cushion every day, and you go and you sit down, and you face the white wall. And, you know, and so this is like facing uh, facing yourself, but it doesn't have to be, you know, a challenge. We can come into relationship with ourselves from a really joyful, curious, childlike way, which really inspires us to take that next step. And so well, how- in my book coming... In, in my book, Coming Into Balance, I wanted to give people these foundational tools, these what I call skillful means. And so, for example, one skillful mean is um, how to slow down your life by walking on the earth and doing a barefoot practice every day. It brings you into your body brings you to breath and it slows down your entire mental, emotional and physical field. So and you, you begin to you literally take off your shoes and walk in your yard and be aware of breathing. Yes. And you walk slowly. You put your heel down and then you bring the ball of your foot down and you feel how you know, shaky you are with your balance. You're, ooh, you know, not quite because you're walking slowly and you're walking with consciousness and groundedness and you're taking deep breaths as you're doing this slow walking. 20 minutes a day, if you do this 20 minutes a day, it actually brings your body, your emotions, and your mind and spirit into balance, and you will have an entirely different experience of being in your day. So something as simple as walking barefoot in your yard for 20 minutes a day can change your life radically? Absolutely. I guarantee so, well, it. <laughs> well, how, how and in what ways are you aware of being in relationship with yourself? I practice these practices every day. For example, this morning I went out to feed the birds that are migrating here in New Mexico right now. And there's this plethora of beautiful birds, hummingbirds, songbirds. And what I did was rather than run outside and fill the bird feeders, I made it a spiritual practice. I walked slowly. I carried in one hand a bucket of water and in the other hand a bucket of bird seed. And I balanced my body. I became in connection with how my spine was, how my hips were feeling, the back of my neck, my head. And I put my chin parallel um, you know, with my body to the earth, eyes soft, looking down, And slowly breathing, I walked out onto the earth. And it took me about 10 minutes (laughs) to get to the bird feeders, which is a 30-second walk otherwise. But I slowly walked there. And by the time I was there, I put down the bucket. The birds did not move. They stayed right there. They were in the bird feeder. They were not afraid of my approach. 
the sun was shining. I poured the water in the bird bath. I lovingly put the seed out. I gave some seed down to the ground in thanksgiving. I made it a spiritual practice. And it opened my heart to this wonderful day and to the environment. I smelled the sage. I smelled the pinyon pines. So I practice these skillful means, Tracy, every day, even when I'm driving. When I'm driving, I'm uh, opening myself to the landscape. I'm looking around. I am uh, looking at the clouds, noticing the weather patterns. I'm being part of an environment that I'm moving through. And I'm being one with it rather than hurtling through space to get somewhere. It's all in a way of consciousness. It's all in a way you bring yourself to your life. It's a way of being present. It's being present. And it's having fun being present. You know, personal transformation can, yes, it's hard work because it's a commitment. And it's a commitment to self-discovery and also changing behavioral pattern. And it can be fun. Like, gee, if I tried it differently, what what would be different? You know, how would the uh, the relationship I'm in, the person respond differently? Or how would, do you know, I respond differently to this challenge that I'm meeting in my life? Well, I think and so least, it, it, at least for me and for a lot of people, when you think about the voyage of personal discovery, it seems like the first part is filled with finding things out about yourself you didn't really want to know. You know there's a reason we disown pieces of ourselves and project them outward. We don't really like them. So it seems like a lot of the initial work I did before I got to the fun pieces was about saying, yep, I have that. Oops, yep, I have that too. Yep, got that piece also. Then it was a while where that kind of, I got spacious enough inside myself to accept those pieces and then also start to play with what it meant to, like, find out more about myself. Yes, yes. And often our invitation to uh, discover ourselves and to, um, you've just described the whole process of soul retrieval. Do you know, coming from a, a place of, wow, that makes me really uncomfortable, when I behave like that, uh, you know, I, or I've disowned this part of myself, that's soul loss. And then when we, uh, you know, invite ourselves and open ourselves to really look at our shadow, because we all have it. And in my book, I call that mask work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's our shadow self. It's a, a part of us that has this been disowned, and it's a very powerful part of us. And if you look culturally at uh, the way that we have disowned um, and objectified our world, do you know it goes back to what I was saying before about overusing resources? Well, you can only do that if you're really not at home, you know, if you're really not connected to the earth, to the resources, um, to yourself. 
And so this is a huge part of our culture that is in shadow, that is waking up. So, And it's, we are waking up at a very fast rate now. Really, it seems, I look at the world, some of the things going on, the aggression in the Ukraine, you know, riots in Baltimore, and I wonder if we're waking up. Yes, well, um, you know, there is a balance to that. You know, sometimes the waking up comes from discomfort first. And, um, do you know, the, uh, for example, the Occupy movement is still very much alive. Do we hear about it in the media? No. There are ways that we are waking up. People are are uh, constantly, and I thank the Internet for this, because the World Wide Web actually is putting us in contact with one another and um, looking at you know, those people who are doing good works in the world, who are waking up, who are the peacemakers. What gets reported in our media is a plethora of how we're not waking up. Well, if, how, it bleeds, um, if it bleeds, it leads. That's the mantra of the media. They want. Is you started off the, you know, our conversation by saying there's all this fear. There's a prevalence of fear. Fear is in our media. That's what sells newspapers. That's what gets people to tune into CNN. Nothing like a disaster to make CNN the biggest news of the day, the biggest news media. Right. Right, and that is all coming from a place of. Um, you know, being disconnected because fear sells. That's what you just said. Um, so that's uh, money, isn't it? You know, it's what makes money that causes that fear-based energy. Uh, but there's something else underneath it that is very insidious, and that is if people globally are in fear, and are staying in that energy field, they are not able to evolve. They are not able to grow, to come back into balance, to be in, to live sustainably. And, you know, that can be both a uh, deliberate thing, keep people numb, dumb, and down on the farm, you know, um, numb out, dumb down, and, um, you know, that kind of energy, if we uh, we need to, to know about it, we need to be intelligent about it and understand it. However, we do not have to feed it. And how we don't feed it is by making a personal choice to be in a place of self-discovery, of working with our own behavioral patterns, being self-responsible and self-empowered. And there, there is this saying, as one grows, so do we all. And this is a universal truth. As one person evolves, the collective consciousness evolves. This is an archetypal energy field that we are all connected to, and it's our webbing of life. It's our webbing of consciousness, one of them anyway. And so when we make a personal um, self-responsible commitment to changing our own lives, to practicing our own spiritual practices, being in our spiritual practice, no matter what is happening around us, 
we do not feed that fear field. We do not feed the media. We do well, not me, feed, do you know, the, you, the energy. What are some of the challenges and obstacles that people face when they go on that voyage of self-discovery, and what are some of the challenges and obstacles you faced in your own journey? Um, I would say, you know, what people face when they commit to self-discovery and self-transformation is they begin to feel that they are um, walking um, in the world in a different way. They're walking uh, from a place of uh, seeing themselves, being in relationship with self and therefore with others and the earth differently. And um, it's a change of rhythm and it's a change of uh, wave. It's a change of energy. And so it's almost as though you are in the world, but you are not of it. You are connected to it, and yet you are walking differently than the what I would call the outer uh chaotic energy field so you're navigating and you're learning how to navigate through the fear chaos energy um, in a different way and as you're doing that um, you are discovering that you can actually be in balance and be at peace and be madly in love with yourself and the earth and with others and that energy uplifts you and brings you into a state of grace. And um, I discovered that myself. I've always uh, been different in the world. I've always been a slow talker, a slow thinker. Um, You know, it's um, just very different kind of rhythm in my body. I am much more attuned to the spirits of nature than I am uh, the news media, although I keep up with the news media to keep myself informed because I want to know um, how to, you know, direct my prayers and my spiritual practice daily. And how do you experience the spirit? You've talked a few times about the spirits of nature, so how do you experience them? Well, I talk to them, I uh, smell them, I walk with them, I see them energetically, I listen, I hear them. Um, One of my spiritual practices is to walk into the Aspen Forest and sit down and listen. And um, it's amazing how the trees will talk to you. They laugh, they giggle. Um, they are interconnected, Um, their roots are underneath, I feel their energy, I listen, I lean up against a tree, I become um, connected to that tree. So, you know, very simple ways that we can be in contact with nature by taking the time and uh, taking the space to do so. 
So in terms of you personally, um, I've seen you hailed as a teacher of teachers and a master healer. So what does that mean to you, or do you find it limiting? Um, I kind of don't relate to those words. Uh, For me, I show up, and I'm myself, and I'm in the field with whoever is there who is committed and wants to go on the journey together. So um, I consider teaching to be a group of people who are curious together and, uh, you know, away we go. We read the field and we become attuned. And then from there, we take the teachings into the realms that we need to explore together. You know, I used to show up with an agenda when I was teaching um, many years ago. And I'd follow that agenda. And now I look back on that and I think it's pretty funny. <laughs> you know, it was like, my uh, my cheat sheet or my notes. <laughs> now I kind of show up and um, read the field and uh, am in relationship. I ask questions. You know, what is here now? What so is in our really, heart? It, as a teacher, you've really let go of the kind of um, the left brain analytical orderly way of doing it? Yes, I have. And I must say that I needed to learn all that and understand all of that before I could. And uh, and so now, for me, uh, teaching is a dance. It's a dance about being in relationship. So when you offer a class to people, you have a kind of general title, and then when people show up, they get the class they need? Yeah, I have uh, themes, you know, because obviously when you uh, go to teach something, you have to kind of tell people what might happen. Yeah, we (laughs) still live in a left-brain world. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, putting words on paper has always been, oh, okay, Um, yes, these may be some topics that we uh, touch on. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be offering, I haven't taught for years because I've been writing, but I'm going to be offering a new uh, series of classes um, that I call Advanced Integrative Healing. And um, there will be themes in that class that we look at. For example, the theme of um, looking at the themes that are in our world, such as what we've been talking about, Tracy, the theme of fear. And then um, skillful means how to navigate with the fear and, um, and navigate through it. So, you know, that's one of the topics that we'll be working with. Another will be um, looking at our shadow self, our our masks, um, you know, healing our past, looking at our behavioral patterns. So all of these things will be in the Integrative Healing Program. And when and, and where are you offering it? Yeah, I'm offering it. Um, I'm offering a workshop in Santa Fe to begin with, um, kind of for people to come and dip their toe in the water to see if it's right to be in, you know, a learning um, relationship with me, uh, February 13 through 16 in Santa Fe. And then again uh, of this coming uh, 2016. And then um, 
a co-teacher of mine, uh, Rosa Bergola, will be offering the same workshop in Montreal, uh, June 17 through 20. And then from that, we're going to um, open it up and we'll begin alternating teachings between Santa Fe and Montreal um, twice a year for four-day weekends in which we get together and we look at the benefits of energy medicine, what's in the field, and where we want to navigate. It's like all of us are going to get in the same canoe and we'll be navigating uh, the field together. I really like working with the matrix and the collective conscious energy field. And I have a, a, a group of healers who have studied with me, some for 18 and 20 years. And we get together once a month and have a, um, a, a conference call in which we talk about what is going on in the field for us. And these are people all over the world. So we really connect with the global consciousness and how we are experiencing it in our lives. We talk together. And then we create a, uh, a healing response versus reaction. We create a healing response from any of the skillful means that um, I have taught them over many, many years of practice. And we do this together as a, uh, a matrix of healers who have skillful means and the facility and what we do is a meditation and a prayer, and then we offer it into the collective consciousness. We've been doing this for years. And that's a way of evolving the collective consciousness. So let me ask you, you've taught for a long time, you've done a lot of your own practice. How do you keep um, inspired to keep progressing? How do you get yourself to keep progressing and moving forward in your own personal work? That's a great question. I write... I read poetry. I feed myself by taking days off and going and soaking in the natural hot springs. I renew my soul by going out into nature. I quiet. I slow down. I cook good food for myself. I laugh a lot. Uh, I enjoy being in relationship with uh, and being in discussion with uh, people of like mind and people who have a different point of view. So all of this is very stimulating to me and also feeds my soul. I would say the primary thing that I do for myself uh, for renewal and also uh, for new creativity to come through is I sit down I meditate and I listen. I listen to my heart. I listen to the world around me. I listen to the spirit that is flowing through all things, the great mystery that flows through everything. And I tune into that and that feeds me. It inspires me, brings insight. What you talked about people with different viewpoints, what do you say to skeptics? I mean, I've had people say to me things like, I don't believe in New Age crap and stuff like that. So what do you say to those people? Well, first of all, I like to get them to laugh at something with me. Uh And once we have laughter between us, we have a connection. 
there's a flow of kind of energy and laughter shakes up the mind you know so um i'll try to you know make a connection somehow in which we can laugh about something something inane or you know laugh about my clumsiness because i'm i'm always dropping something or you know um opening a pen and then keeping it in my hand and my hands full of ink you know something something silly that brings us into kind of um a different more open way of being and then I sit and I open my heart and I listen to spirit and I ask spirit, how can I make contact with this person? We're of the same species. How can I relate? Show me the way. And then usually I'll just sit silently and an inquiry will come forth. I'll get curious. And then I ask an open-ended question. And from there, we may or may not have a dialogue. Does some people, um, you know, just want to pontificate and hear themselves? And so as they're doing that, I simply choose, you know, I listen very carefully for where the language is conscious and where it's unconscious. And if the language is unconscious, I'll ask a conscious language question, such as, um, how does that make you feel when you speak like that? And are you able to get people to soften? Are you able to make some inroads? Yes. Yes. Because there there are people flatly deny there's an interconnecting spirit of all things, that there's a webbing of life. Yes. Well, I have a tremendous compassion for someone um, who is that closed and um, does not relate, do you know, in a way that allows spirit to speak through them. Uh, So, you know, when it's a closed system, um, sometimes you simply need to uh, walk away and say, you know, I bless you, I have compassion, and I'll bring my attention someplace else. Mm-hmm. And what do you do personally when you fall on challenging times now since you've been having a practice for a long time? Yes, I've been in practice for 20 years. Um, when I fall on challenging times, I... Uh, deepen into my faith, Um, you know, whether it's financial or uh, sometimes I get scared because the energy of the world sometimes is overwhelming. And when, because I am so sensitive and I feel that and that wave kind of moves through me, I stop and I say, is this my wave or is it coming from someplace else? So I stop the action, I feel the discomfort, and then I invite myself to sit down and listen. And it only takes a few seconds. I breathe, I sit, and I say, what is needed in this moment? And usually it is my mind that has kind of gotten away from me. It's galloping down, you know, some fearful corridor 
And uh, then I, I kind of rein it in and I, I come back and I sit and I breathe. And through bringing my conscious awareness to breath, I open my heart. And I say, really? Yes, there is suffering here. Yes, that is true. And how can I make a difference right now? How can I bring myself to the world in this very, very moment? And so I, I go to a prayer that I have prayed since early childhood, and that prayer is this, Creator, we call forth the global awakening of humanity in a peace-filled consciousness now. Thank that, you. That is beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. And I hear, again, the the emphasis on breathing, sitting, the process of inquiry. So yes, and taking yourself out of the moment. Do you see, when you're in overwhelm, it's an opportunity to invite yourself to shift. It's a wonderful invitation. And we just have a few minutes left, so I wanted to see if you could share with us a little bit more about your future plans, future books, and more teaching, and how people can find out more about you or how listeners can contact you. Oh, that's sweet. Thank you. Well, I have a website, www.drjaneeli.net. And my uh, my latest book is Coming Into Balance, A Guide for Activating Your True Potential. And um, it's uh, a book that took me 20 years to write. <laughs> uh, and it's really a book full of skillful means to... Everything that we've been talking about today, Tracy, is contained in this book. And um, I wrote it for the general public, but uh, it's also for people who are in a deep spiritual practice because you can take things at face value and then keep going in and in and in. So it's a little deceptive. Um, My next book is going to be um, about uh, meditation and chants and bringing spiritual practice into your daily life. Um, And it's, uh, you know, um, a book of uh, chants and personal ceremony, spiritual ceremony, uh, to bring yourself into uh, living your life as a spiritual elder. And then the book after that is, uh, I already have the title for it, it's called Bones and Stones. And it's a book about growing up in indigenous culture um, with two very wise, funny elders, my grandparents. So that's going to be, you know, the next couple of years. I really want to get to it. Well, I really encourage all listeners to go to your website, drjaneeli.net, And do you have any last bit of wisdom you want to share with us? Thank you. Uh, Well, first of all, I love your program. And secondly, I love the concept of it. And I invite all of us to think outside the box. Because together, when we think outside the box, we're creating a tsunami of change. Keep inviting yourself. Keep looking for the ways in which you can open into your life that is new, that is creative. When you bring your creative soul forward, you're really dancing the joy of the world. And we're all changing because you're doing it. Oh, I love that, dancing the joy of the world. And I just want to clarify that the classes that you're going to be teaching, are those on your website? People will be able to find out more about them on your website. 
Uh, they will as soon as I learn how to do that. <laughs> right now, people can be in touch with me and ask about it. I'll get it up on my website in the next couple of weeks. I promise. And there's a contact. There's contact information on your website, drjaneeli.net. That's correct. My email's there and phone number. So people can reach you and learn more about your books and your teachings and even work with you personally. That's correct. Well, Jane, thank you so much for being on the on the show. You've been amazing and wonderful. And I well, want to encourage you. I want to encourage listeners to go to your website, drjaneeli.net to learn more about you and your work and um it was great to have you on. Thank you so much, Tracy, and thank you for the work that you're bringing to the world. It's amazing. Well, thank you. So I just want to tell um, the listeners that thank you for joining us. We really appreciate you, and please come back next week to hear Dr. Bill Burnett talk about his work with parental alienation, very sad subject, very important to know about it, part of what's out of balance in the world, Um, and that's May 14th at 1 (coughs) p.m., Then Peter Trippi, who's the editor-in-chief of Fine Art Connoisseur Magazine, will be on talking about how to support the visual arts, and that's Thursday, May 21st at 11 p.m. And then on May 28th, actor and producer Alexis Suarez will be talking about being an actor and a producer in today's world and the big studios and independent filmmaking and how he's negotiating that. So keep checking the website for future guests. I'm booking people now. So thank you again for listening. This has been Tracy L. Slatten on the Independent Artists and Thinkers Network. Thanks for joining us. Come back next week.